Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I heard a joke, so uh, it made me laugh, so I'm going to tell it to you. Okay, so I think this is like an old joke, like a classic classic joke. So, so anyway, um, as, as the saying goes that uh, Jews, and I think they're talking about men right now, that Jews, like, they, how do they know what's going on in the world from going to the mikvah? Because, you know, you can't talk Torah in the mikvah, so everyone's just sort of like filling in everyone, just current events at the mikvah and things like this. Anyway, so as, as the story goes, uh, Napoleon wanted to know um, whether people were aware of the fact that he was planning a, 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 a surprise attack. And so they told him, they said, well, you know, if you want to know what people know, go to the mikvah and then listen to their conversation, and then you'll be able to know, like, what's going on. So Napoleon disguises himself, he goes to the mikvah, and he turns to one of the guys there, and he says, he says, is it true that Napoleon's going to attack? And the guy says, shh, he's going to be at the mikvah any minute from now. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, apropos of nothing, but... Um, uh, this is, as we say, Zman Simchasenu, which means this, this now we're, 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 we're getting ready for Sukkot right now. And that's, that's the, the, official, the official name of this. It has an official name on the calendar, which is the time of our, of our Simcha, the time of our joy, the time of our happiness. So I just want to discuss that um, because, um, because it's deep and it's really Jewish. It's super Jewish, and, and, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Okay, because here's the thing. You go into a sukkah. So, so everyone knows what a sukkah is, but I'll tell you anyway. So it is a very temporary shelter, and it has to be according to halacha, according to Jewish law, it has to be temporary. In other words, if you make it out of the, the walls, out of concrete blocks, it's not a kosher sukkah. So it has to have a certain level of um, sustainability, if you will, meaning to say that the wind shouldn't be able to knock it over. But at the same time, it can't be too permanent. So that in itself is kind of interesting. Um, and where we see the word sukkah for the first time is by Yaakov Avinu, um, Jacob, and he... He basically makes a sukkah, and 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 he makes it for his animals, and 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 then it, it says that he he calls the name of the town um, by the name sukkah. So the Ishbitzer, or maybe it's Reb Label Eger, I'm not sure, asks a very interesting question, which is that the whole idea of the sukkah is how impermanent, how temporary our life in this world is. So if that's the case, why did he make the, why did he name the town after Sukkah? Because that's that 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 seems to be institutionalizing it, right? And it's about the impermanent. So here's what the Rebbe says, something fascinating. He says that what Yaakov Avinu wanted to do was to make the impermanent permanent. <laughs> he wanted to make as our fixed state of consciousness the impermanence of life. Wow. And that's, that, is, that is what the sukkah is doing. So in other words, we have this reckoning, this 10-day-long reckoning with God 
and with our own mortality. And that is from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, where we say two books are open, the book of life, and as Rabbi Shlomo would say, the book of not so much, right? He didn't even want to say the name. So you've got both books open, and then you, you, you emerge from these ten days with your Lulav and Esrik, and the Medrash says that, that the custom in ancient times was that after someone emerged victorious from a, um, from a, uh, a legal settlement before the judge, they would sort of like, sort of like uh, pump their, their, their spear or their, their, their sword in the air as a sign of victory. And that, that, so to speak, is kind of what we're doing with the lulav. In other words, saying that we've emerged victorious from this heavenly judgment. We're still here, we're still alive. Okay. But, that, that being the case, though, it's true we're still alive, and we're, we're celebrating our life. But we go almost immediately into the sukkah, which is all about the fragility of life, and the fact that we're not going to be around forever because life is fragile. And the key element of the sukkah, which is always surprising to me, because it's not, um, I would say, intuitive. The key, like I would say, like, you know, like I heard in the name of the Ari, a beautiful Torah, that the, that the sukkah is a divine hug. Because the whole idea is that it's supposed to surround you. And it also begins with the letter Samach for Sukkah, right? And Samach is a circle. And as Reb Shlomo says classically, when you hug someone, what do you do? You're making a Samach around them. And in Ashrei, the Pasuk, the verse for the letter Samach, is that basically God uplifts the fall. So the soul body language, when you hug someone, you're making a Samach around them, you're telling them, I'm not going to let you fall. Right? So that's, that's what a Sukkah is. Sukkah is this big samach around us. God is hugging us. And as again, Rib Shlomo classically says, if you want to know how forgiven you were on Yom Kippur, the answer is how at home, how much at home do you feel in the sukkah? Right? Because it's sort of like when someone hugs you, you can have different reactions. And one reaction is, oh, I never want this hug to end. And if, if that's, then you really feel at home. Then you know that there's a genuine closeness there. So, so again, remember, Yom Kippur is not just about, as Rav Soloveitchik says, it's not just about um, wiping away past mistakes. It's about restoring a relationship, right? Because you can forgive someone, but the, the relationship isn't back where it was before. You forgave them, but you're not close anymore. Right, so the idea of Yom Kippur going into Sukkot is—it's not just that God is forgiving us; that the relationship itself is restored. That's 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 the whole idea. So, based on everything that I told you, I think that you would agree that the most sort of intuitive aspect of the Sukkah is the wall surrounding us, right? And I wanted to say a Torah one time, which is that. You know that for a sukkah to be kosher, it doesn't have to have four walls. It can have like basically two and a half walls. You know that half has to be a certain amount. But so if you say, well, the whole idea of sukkah is to be surrounded, and yet here you see you can have a kosher sukkah with empty walls, 
what, then what does that mean exactly? How do you recognize those two things? So, or reconcile those two things? So what I wanted to say was that um, it's to show you when you're sitting in a sukkah that even in those times in your life when it seems like God is absent, he's also there. <laughs> and not only is he there, but he's embracing you. And that's a very big level for a person to understand that even in those times where it seems like, where is God? To actually know really very strongly that not only is God there, but he's embracing you. But in order to get to that level and to live at that level, you have to know 1,000% that God is good and does good. Otherwise, you'll never get there. Okay, so again, we're making the case for the primary aspect of the sukkah is the walls of the sukkah. And yet, that's not the case. The primary aspect of the sukkah is what we call the schach. And that is the roof of the sukkah. So, and the roof of the sukkah is what gives the sukkah its real kedusha, its real holiness. And Rabbi Friedman was telling me that if the schach falls during Yantif, it, it, it's, it's muktzah, you can't put it back up, right? But, but during Cholomoyed, you put it back up and you're supposed to kiss it before you put it back up. Make sure you don't need a bug when you kiss it. <laughs> so, because it actually... The schach actually has kedusha; it actually has holiness to it. And the schach has to cover the, the roof, but not so much that you can't see the stars through the roof. You have to be able to see the stars through the roof. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. And um, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ideas here. So, so one of the things is that we have to understand that Hashem is doing something amazing for us. He's given us this, this amazing, amazing, amazing gift called tshuva, which means to return. Right? Don't dare allow anyone translated as repentance, because I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. Tshuva means return. You're running back to the one you love the most and the one who loves you the most. Right? Um... And you've got two aspects of tshuva. You've got tshuva mi'ira and tshuva uh, from a standpoint of ava, love. Right? One is that you're just overwhelmed and stressed out and you better get your act together. Right? That would be a loose translation of yira. And the other is, is that how can I be estranged from the, the one who I love the most and who loves me the most? Right? I've got to do what's right and, and, and get get it get it going on again, you know. So that level of tshuva, the 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 the, the Torah teaches turns past mistakes into mitzvahs, which is the most awesome, amazing thing in the world. Right? So with that in mind, the first part of this cycle that we've been doing from Rosh Hashanah to um, to uh, Yom Kippur, that's tshuva me'ira. Tshuva from the standpoint of awe and everything like that. But tshuva ma'ava, ba'ava, is, is now, is this time right now, sukkahs, where it's now returning from this standpoint of love. Okay? So, and where all of your averas, past mistakes, are now going to turn into mitzvahs. Now, let's see how that, that works amazingly with the schach. Because the schach has to be 
um, it has to be a dhamma. It has to be um, uh, from the ground. Okay? It can't be metal. And we'll get to that in a moment because that's very deep. It can't be like a metal roof. It's got to be like um, vegetation. Okay? That's why we use bamboo poles or that's why we use um, uh, tree leaves or palm fronds or whatever it is. And by the way, it's got to be cut off. It can't be attached to a tree. Like if you found an amazingly shady tree, you would think that, oh, that would be the ideal place to put a sukkah underneath because I've got all my schach ready-made there. So that's called, that would be an unkosher sukkah. It's got to be cut off. can't be under the shade of a mountain, under the shade of a tree. The shade has to be coming from the schach itself. Now, in ancient times, remember where people were mostly um, having an agricultural economy, what they would do is they would take what's called psolus. Psolus would be sort of loosely translated as garbage. That would be your, your all the kind of stuff from the ground that you're not using. It's not fruit. It's not, it's not nothing commercially valuable, basically. And you're taking that stuff and you're using it as the schach. So now look what's happening. Look what's happening. You're taking essentially garbage or averas, right? And you're turning them into mitzvahs because that then becomes the schach, which is the primary mitzvah of the sukkah. So in other words, the, 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 the dynamic of past mistakes or garbage, if you will, being turned into mitzvahs or schach is acted out in terms of the construction of the sukkah itself. And through that, through that adama which are the letters Ha'adam, which means the human being, <laughs> through that dynamic, which is the most human thing in the world, which is A, making mistakes, because what's more human than making mistakes, right? But B, transforming your mistakes, right, in a way where you become a window through which you can see the heavens. Right? Now remember, we said that the primary, the primary aspect of um, the sukkah is the schach. And the law of the schach is that it's got to be cut off. Right? That means if it's cut off, what does that mean? That means it's going to die. Right? It's going to turn brown at a certain point because it's not, it's not getting the juice from the sap of the tree anymore. Or the energy from the ground. Like the rain and the soil and the nutrients. So... And, and, what, and that Adama is what? Ha'adam, that's a human being. That's us, right? That's mortality, man. It's mortality. So, and yet you have to be able to see the stars through it. And we're saying that the primary dynamic is the schach, which means, you know, I once saw this line, which it's from the Gomorrah, um, Humbly walks the duck, but its eyes gaze toward heaven. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, I haven't been around a lot of ducks, but I guess they kind of waddle, which is kind of a humble walk since they're not sort of like striding like a Clydesdale horse, you know what I mean? Like if you think of the waddle of a duck versus the noble gait of a horse, it's, you know, they're two different worlds. And yet, I guess the nature of a duck is that it kind of looks up, you know, so it's sort of like humbly walking, but its eyes gaze toward heaven, you know? So, you have to be able to see the stars through your own humanity, right? Because what is the schach? It's a dhamma, 
which is Ha'adam, the human being, you have to be able to see the stars. You have to be able to see this, the heavens through your own humanity. That's, that's, that's the dynamic of the sukkah. In other words, you see, a person has to stand for something. A person has to have a point of view. There's a, a nice quote, I, I forgot who said it, but it's that um, a person who, who stands for nothing will fall for anything. Right? So it, it's a good quote. And in today's day and age, I think properly so, correctly so, we want to be as tolerant and as loving and as accepting as possible. But we have to understand that that doesn't mean gutting our point of view. You can have a point of view. You can even have a very strong point of view. And that doesn't, that's not in contradiction with, with being loving and accepting. And I think that that balance is, especially for someone who's quote-unquote religious, that, that, that balance is very essential to get down. Because a lot of people reject anyone who's quote-unquote religious because they perceive, often correctly in them, an, a, um, a narrow-mindedness, an intransience, intransience, uh, something, something starting with the words I-N, <laughs> with a T and a G in there. <laughs> um, um, and... Uh, and then, and then those people, to them, are supposed to be, like, these people are self-appointed representatives of godliness in the world? Like, I don't buy it. Like, they, and they don't buy it. And then it gives, it gives everyone, uh, you know, who, who, who believes in God, who believes that there's, you know, this energy of love that the world's made out of, it gives them all a bad name. You know? So, so you can have... And you should have a very strong point of view. But you should also understand that you don't then use that point of view as a stick to beat other people with. Right? And that's very, very important to get that down. You know? So, so, so let's get back to this idea then. You see, you need a lens, you need a set of beliefs to see the world through. You know, so here's my lens, and I would suggest the Torah's lens. There's a God. He's one. <coughs> Bless you. He fills the entire world and exists dimensions beyond this world. There's no comparison to him. There's nothing that you can point to in this world and say, this is a miniature of God. God is unique. There is no reference point. Because he's unique. He loves us the most. And he's intimately involved with every detail of our lives and every detail of creation. And he's good. That, that's a point of view. That's a way to get through life. That's, that's a way to get through life. To have those things clearly in mind and to see life through that lens. All right? So that everything that you learn and everything you do is all subsidiary to that. Because those are the, the glasses that exist on the outside that you see everything through. Okay? 
So now let's go back to the sukkah. The idea is that the schach is the essential aspect of the sukkah. You're supposed to see everything through the lens of the schach. In other words, humbly walks the human being, but their eyes gaze toward heaven, (laughs) right? In other words, the point of the sukkah is is to be consummately aware of the fragility of life while having your point of view focused on eternality. So, on the one hand, it's like, oh man, I'm like the schach. I'm like cut off from the tree. I'm going to turn brown and die. Right? (laughs) On the other hand, is that the end of me? No, because... I live forever. I'm looking up at the stars. I live forever. So it's like I'm temporary. It's like, remember, back to the Torah, um, that Yaakov names the name of the city after the sukkah. He wanted to make the notion of impermanence permanent, right? But here we have another juxtaposition of impermanence and permanence, which is I'm impermanent, but the heavens and my destiny is permanent. (laughs) And that's the lens, because you have to be able to look through the schach and see the stars. That's the lens that I'm going to see all of life through. So now, here's where it gets super Jewish, okay? Because if you told me that it's sort of like you're going into this chamber of mortality, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, that would be a really lousy name for a sukkah, wouldn't it? Like... You're going into this chamber of mortality for seven days or eight days, you know, to really learn these lessons, right? So here's what I would tell you. Okay, based on that, I have to fill out the rest of the rules. Okay, so I'm going to tell you how to do it, okay? No furniture in the sukkah. You know what I mean? Sleep on the floor, sleep on the ground, bread and water, right? And that's, that's your, that's, so let's really get the point across, guys. Let's like really do it. Let's really do it. And that's absolutely 10,000% what the, what the halacha is not. Here's what the halacha is. Eat the best food. <laughs> Move in your furniture. Move in your bed. Relax, enjoy. In fact, you know what this time is called? Zman Simchasenu. The time of our joy. So... Look at, look at the genius of the Torah. Look at the genius of the Torah here. It's sort of like, have you ever, have you ever met people like this? I've, I've been one of these people at different times, and I've certainly met many people like this. You go on vacation, and they get there, and a day into the vacation, they go, only four days left. <laughs> only three days left. <laughs> So they spend their entire vacation worrying about how their vacation is ending. Have you, does this not sound familiar? I, believe me, I've met many people like this. This is very, very, very common. So while they're there to enjoy, they're not enjoying because they're, they're so aware that it's about to end. So, so 
what the sukkah is telling you is, guys, we got, let's say, to 120, right? But we got a set amount of time. We got a set amount of time. You know what you should do with that, in to- with that time? Enjoy it. <laughs> Enjoy it. Eat good food. Celebrate. Enjoy this life while we have it. And that's, that to me is the beautiful Jewish part of it, you know? That there's a recognition of the ultimate reality, which is pretty black and white. But at the same time, the, the, they say that the approach to that should be total joy. And to enjoy every single moment while we have it. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And there's such wisdom in that. There's such wisdom in that, right? So, so that's that's the sukkah. That's the sukkah. And um, I I I saw something uh, which 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 I want to share with you. Uh, so just to switch topics a bit, but in terms of um, really getting the most out of life. Okay. So continuing with that theme for a moment. So we just read not too long ago in Parshas Vayelech, which is you know one of the, the last Parshas of the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu says, um, "I'm 120 years old," and he says, "And I can't go in and out anymore. Like my my going it my goings in and goings out. Like I can't do it anymore." Now we know that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, up until the very last moment of his life, was in full strength and perfect health. So that being the case, what does it mean? Like he said, I can't go in and go out anymore. What is that referring to exactly? So the Talmud answers the question. Talmud gives a very amazing understanding that the gates of wisdom were closed to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the going in and going out that is being referred to. So now, listen to this. That's now. That's the end of the Talmud. Now let's just put that all together and figure out what that's actually saying, because it's 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 sort of like a, you know kind of soul shaking for me anyway. Which is that that means Moshe's life is over because his ability to learn now is over. Which means that if you're not learning you're not living. Or when learning stops, living stops. However you want to say it, but that's the correlation. That the his life is over, he can't go in and out anymore to the gates of wisdom, and his life is over. So that's true for us too. We have to keep on learning. And that's that learning and living are in this, you know, exquisite correlation. And um, and you know, when you learn, you know what the definition of learning is? Is that when you find out something you didn't know before. So that means that we're never going to know everything. <laughs> 
Because if living is learning, and the definition of learning is finding out something you didn't know before, that means you're constantly in a state of not knowing. <laughs> Otherwise, you've got nothing to learn, because you already know everything. <laughs> Which is something that we have to get comfortable with. In other words, not be shocked when we learn something that we didn't know. But to accept as our default, meaning to say, to accept as our current state of consciousness, not knowing. <laughs> and that is the most healthy, accurate way to go through life. Right? Now I gotta tell you something. I wanna tell you a couple of stories. Just um just because they, they made me feel good and just want to share them. So, so, I don't know whether we, we, we said them here before, but I was saying them over to the minion called Nidre. We were learning that uh, the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you know, that Yom Kippur is the 10th day. It's called the Aseris Yumei Tshuva, the 10 days of Tshuva. So it starts with Rosh Hashanah and it culminates on the 10th day, which is Yom Kippur. Now you know that there are also 10 spherot, these stratas of energy, which um, sort of God used to combine to make the world. And it goes higher and higher. And the highest, the 10th sphera, the highest sphera, the most divine repository of energy, is called Keter. Keter means crown. Right? And just like a crown sits atop your head, so to speak, Keter sits above all of the energies, all the sphera. So Keter is, 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 an, amazing, is an amazing thing. So, so the Mayor of Hashemish points out that, that since the, the, the tenth day is Yom Kippur, so that correlates with the tenth sphera, which is Keter, meaning to say that on Yom Kippur, you're just absolutely engulfed with the highest, most exalted divine energy from the very top, from this place called Crown or Keter, right? And there's a Pusik, I haven't got it in front of me, but it, it's sort of like the key Pusik of Yom Kippur, which is that on this day, Hashem is cleansing you. And the word for cleansing you is Titaru, right? This is from the Torah. And the Gematria of the word titaru for cleansing is this is 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 the same gamatri as the word keter right they're both 620 so in other words what is cleansing you you're you're you like you're standing in the most your soul is being engulfed in the most exalted light right and that's just wiping away any any sort of impurities right so this 620 which is keter which is titaru, which is this ultimate cleansing, right? It's all there, right? So the next day was work, and I got a call, and I wanted to have some privacy, so I went out into the hallway there, and it was kind of like a, uh, you know, an office hallway, and I'm just kind of sitting, taking the call, and just kind of absentmindedly, I'm standing in front of, you know, one of the one of the signs, it had a little braille on the bottom, and I was just kind of jamming my thumb into the dots. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just, just kind of just spacing out, you know, just taking the call. And uh, after the call, I look up, and this, the, 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 
the sign in front of me, there was only one thing on the sign, the number 620. That was the office number. <laughs> Which was just, I wasn't even aware of it. I was just like, just standing in front of it the whole time, you know. I just thought, wow, you know, that was the next day, you know. So they just, I don't know, just felt so good. Felt so good, you know. And I thought, I sort of like wrestled with it because I was like, I, I don't really understand this. Does this mean that I had like a great Yom Kippur or something like that? Like I didn't know what to do with that, you know what I mean? And I was like, I don't know if I did, really, you know? Like who am I to say I had a great Yom Kippur, you know what I mean? And then I thought, oh wait, no, God can just give you something as a gift. <laughs> so it's sort of like I thought, oh, okay, yeah, okay, I'll, uh, I'm open to a gift for sure, you know? And with that in mind, let's go deeper into this idea. Because um, one of the kind of central things that we all have to wrestle with, with Yom Kippur and everyone wrestles with, as the Reb Simcha Banim of Pshisk pointed out, classic, famous Torah, and I'm going to tell you what Rabbi Freeman said about him, that, you know, after... Yom Kippur, we go right into Marav, and one of the things we do in Marav is we say Slachlanu, which is God forgive us, and we kind of clap ourselves on the chest for all of our sins and our accidental sins and our intentional sins. And so the question is asked, like, what we didn't, we literally haven't left our seat from Shul. What sins have we done from the time that Yom Kippur has happened to the time that we're doing Tshuva again? So, um, Reb Simcha Banim says that we're doing tshuva. What sin have we done? We didn't believe that we were forgiven on Yom Kippur. So we have to do tshuva on not believing that we were actually forgiven. So, so Rabbi Freeman sort of like understood it in this way, and I, I wanted to share it with you, which is, that so much we, we make ourselves the center of the universe. And it's natural. I mean, sort of like we've been wired to actually be predisposed to think that way. So there's nothing wrong with thinking that you're the center of the universe. But then you have to evolve from that initial place. In other words, a without getting too graphic, you'll excuse me, but just to make the point, a baby can't control his going to the bathroom, right? But as I heard Rabbi Aaron point out one time, if you were to continue to be that way your whole life and to say, hey man, this is natural. <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah, I don't know, but really? Like, that's, that's really wants to be, that's, that's going to be your position on this? You know what I mean? It's like, it, and, but, but the same thing would apply to all of our character traits. Like, in other words, a person can genuinely and honestly argue that their self-centeredness is natural. And this is the way I was made. And God doesn't make mistakes, right? So, it's your problem. 
so it's true and it's not true. There, there are certain ways that we're made, but we're made that way in the anticipation of evolving out of them, of growing out of them. That's the expectation. Not that we're made this way in order to stay that way. We're made that way in order to not stay that way, actually. So, so the thing is, is that if we, we're forgiven, cause, not because we decide whether we're forgiven or not. That's making ourselves the final authority. And that's making ourselves the center of everything. We're forgiven because the one above says you're forgiven. <laughs> and if you don't agree, then there's a problem. Because the problem is, is that you are deciding what's going on and what's not going on. When the reality is, is that it's God who's running the show and it's God who's telling you that you're forgiven. So that, that, that's, a very, that's a very crucial mental adjust. And that has implications for going through life in general. Right? So, so a, lot of, a lot of it is just kind of letting go. And, and um, you know, I, I remember being at a Shabbos table one time and and someone's whose life was, you know, there was just a lot of sadness in this person's life for a particular reason. They, there, there was something that they really wanted and weren't able to get, and it was very sad. And they said they, they went to this particular Rebbe, and the Rebbe assured them, you are exactly where you need to be in life right now. And it was just such a relief. It was such a relief. And interestingly, that person ended up being able to get to whatever that next level was that they wanted, ultimately, even though it seemed like very late in the game for them to be able to do that. But, but there comes a certain time in our life where we have to just say, you know what, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Now, it would be great if I could get X, Y, and Z. Let's see, given the fact that I'm here right now, Let's see what, where I can go from here, right? Um, but not literally, like with a heavy rope, like dragging your past along with you from moment to moment, because it's debilitating. And, and that's what, and we'll, we can finish with this point. Let's go back to that Pusuk that Hashem is the one who cleanses you. Remember I told you that the word for cleansing is 620. So, um, so, uh, Reb Leibla Eger says an awesome Torah, an awesome, awesome Torah. He says that if you look at this Pasuk, and if you get me a Chumash, I can get you the exact, uh, yeah, the, the big blue one. Yeah, right behind you on the bookcase, all the way in the back. So, um, uh, if, you, if you look at this particular um, verse in the Torah, it's got amazing properties to it. Which is that if you, if you add up 
the first letter of every word in this Pasuk. It comes out to um, 626. Now remember we said that 620 is Keter, right, which is crown, which is that highest aspect of energy. And it's also the word in that Pasuk for being cleansed, right? And by the way, you should know that 620 is also the number of letters in the Aseris Dibros in the Ten Commandments. So it also stands for the entire Torah. And interestingly, just because the Torah is just endless levels, on Yom Kippur, where you're cleansed with this Keter energy, which is 620, is also the day, Yom Kippur, that we got the second tablets, the Torah, which is also 620, right? It just, it just doesn't stop. And this, this Pasuk, this verse, is, um, adds up to um, 626, the first letter of every word in this, uh, in this Pasuk. So that's amazing. So, which is Keter Vav. Okay, we're, we're going to explain this in a moment. But it's, it's more than that. Because if you, if, you actually, if you actually add up the last letter of every word in that verse, it adds up to the identical amount, 626, which is Keter Vav. So Vav is, first of all, Vav, the Zohar, refers to the letter Vav as the Os Emes, the letter of truth. So in other words, it means like, on one level you can say, it's true that this is all Keter energy, right? Vav is also a straight line which draws down energy, meaning to say that this verse is talking about how all this exalted energy from the highest aspect of creation is being drawn down, right? To purify us. Um, But Vav is also a hook. And it also means the word and. So in other words, it's sort of like God is giving you all this Keter energy, all this purification, right? And what are you going to do with it? <laughs> you see, what's so, what's so great about that is that it points you toward the future. Because a lot of people don't understand what Yom Kippur is all about. Uh, and, and, and it's very consistent with people's misunderstanding about what Judaism is about. They think, what's Judaism about? I don't know, i got to do this stuff because my mom and dad and my grandparents did this stuff. So I'm stuck with it too, so I also got to do it. And, if I, and if, to the extent that I don't, they're going to get really mad at me, right? So that's a lot of people's understanding of what Judaism is, which is ridiculous, ridiculous. Judaism is the most visionary, radical, amazing vision of the future and the perfection of the entire world. It's a totally forward-looking vision. As I heard Rabbi Freeman put it one time, do you think Avraham and Sarah, the first Jews, said, oh, we got to do this because our parents and grandparents did it? (laughs) That's not what they were thinking. (laughs) In other words, the very origin and roots of this point of view were forward-thinking. Right? And it's no less forward thinking today. It's just that this, through our ignorance, through this plague of ignorance that sort of like engulfed us, we've lost touch with this aspect of what our tradition is, which is it's about the perfection of the entire world. 
So, so it's forward-looking, and Yom Kippur is also forward-looking. It's not just like, I did these things in my past, and i got to fix them up, and on this day, God helps me fix them up. So it's just all about my past, really. That's not it. It's Keter Vav. Vav is and. Ket, you're, you, you've been cleansed, and what are you going to do with it? In other words, now that I've been unburdened of all of this junk, now I'm free, now I can fly, now the barriers that I've erected between my own soul and my own consciousness through all my wrongdoing have been broken down so I can hear the voice of my own soul again. And now I can go forward and I can do the things that I need to do. Let me just give you a visual. Imagine imagine that um, a person, every time they do something wrong, imagine, you know those cargo pants, they've got like lots of pockets and then they've got shirts like that also, you know? So imagine you've got like a shirt with lots of pockets and pants with lots and lots of pockets. And every time you say Lashon Hara, right, you know, someone puts a little sand in your pocket and you didn't, you missed a brocha or you didn't have any kavan or whatever it is or you said the brocha so fast you didn't remember and then you said it again and you shouldn't say it again if you already said it. Anytime. And all the other mistakes that we make in life. And every single time over the course of the year someone puts a little bit of sand in one of these pockets you're so weighed down after a while. It's like, you know, you're walking. It takes all your energy just to walk down the block, right? So how much can you get done? Now imagine on Yom Kippur, someone comes and just like, you know, like they have in the cartoons, turns you up to side down, holds you by the ankles, you know what I mean? And shakes you, (laughs) right? And you get rid of all this, you know, it's like you lose 50 pounds. And it's like, now you can move. You can move, you can do. So that's, 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 that's what Yom Kippur is. And, and, and so as soon as you've got that thing, what are you going to do? Zman Simcha Seinu, you're going to celebrate. That's Sukkot, right? You're going to sort of chiropractically adjust your point of view of the world, right? It's temporary, but... It's permanent because I last forever, but, and then I'm going to see the world through the heavens, the point of view of the heavens and God's oneness and his love and the hug and everything like that. And I'm going to go forward, right? And I'm going to enjoy every moment of the X number of days that I have, right? I'm going to celebrate it, not mourn over it. I'm going to celebrate my time here. So um, that, that Pasuk is uh, in Sefer Vayikra, that's uh, Leviticus, in, in Parshas Achremos, and it's um, chapter 16, verse 30, so I'll, I'll read it to you. Kiviyom hazem yechaperem aleichem letaher eschem mikom chatosechem lefnei adinoi titaru. Okay, so that last word titaru is 620, which is keter, which is that amazing um, high energy that we're being cleansed with. In, in, in English, that Pasuk is, for on this day, meaning Yom Kippur, he shall provide atonement, God shall provide atonement for you to purify you from all of your sins before Hashem shall you be purified. Now again, if you take the first letter of all of those words, it adds up to 626, which is Keter Vav. And if you take the last letter 
of all of those words. It adds up to the exact same number, 626 Ketravav. That's Reb Lebele Eger. And now, just to throw in one, one last thought, um, there, there's an amazing Torah. Um, I don't have the source for it, but um, I heard it from someone who heard it from Rabbi Gaines, which is that if you take the word shofar and you atbash the letters, right, that's a form of letter exchange from the Gomorrah, and then with that new set of letters that you get from shofar, you take the gematria of those new letters, it's the gematria of the word sukkah. Right? And here you see a beautiful transformation because we said that this period of time as we're going from returning to God from the standpoint of yira, right? Fear, awe, to the standpoint of love. And when you blow the shofar, that's, a, that's to make your, your bones shake. You know, that's to fill you with yira. But what's coming out of the mouth of the shofar? The sukkah, right? The love is coming out. So um, that, that Pasuk is uh, in Sefer Vayikra, that's uh, Leviticus, in, in Parshas Achremos, and it's um, chapter 16, verse 30, so I'll, I'll read it to you. Kivi yom hazeh yichaper aleichem letaher eschem mikom chatoseichem lefnei adinoi titaru. Okay, so that last word titaru is 620, which is keter, which is that amazing um, high energy that we're being cleansed with. In, in, in English, that Pasuk is, for on this day, meaning Yom Kippur, he shall provide atonement, God shall provide atonement for you to purify you from all of your sins before Hashem shall you be pur- purified. Now again, if you take the first letter of all of those words, it adds up to 626, which is Keter Vav. And if you take the last letter of all of those words. It adds up to the exact same number, 626, Ketravav. That's Reb Lebele Eger. And now, just to throw in one, one last thought, um, there, there's an amazing Torah. Um, I don't have the source for it, but um, I heard it from someone who heard it from Rabbi Gaines, which is that if you take the word shofar and you atbash the letters, right, that's a form of letter exchange from the Gomorrah, and then, with that new set of letters that you get from shofar, you take the gematria of those new letters, it's the gematria of the word sukkah. Right? And here you see a beautiful transformation. Because we said that this period of time as we're going from returning to God from the standpoint of yira, right? Fear, awe, to the standpoint of love. And when you blow the shofar, that's, a, that's to make your, your bones shake. You know, that's to fill you with yira. But what's coming out of the mouth of the shofar? The sukkah, right? The love is coming out.